If you've listened to this podcast regularly this season, then you know I've been beating the drum since last spring that OU's toughest stretch of this season was the one that they just completed, the Texas, UCF, and Kansas trifecta. And I was not ever particularly concerned about Bedlam the next week. Well, I am disappointed to announce that I no longer feel that way. In fact, after last week's embarrassing performance, this is probably the most important game in Brent Venables' tenure so far. If you've listened to other shows this week in the OU Podcast Cinematic Universe, then you've no doubt heard the complaints lodged at the decisions that OU's coaching staff made last week, and most of the ire has been in the direction of the offensive coordinator. Now, I'm not going to go against the grain. I'm not going to try to find a different angle. I'm actually going to agree with all that smoke wholeheartedly. After re-watching the game, the loss against KU last week may have been the most poorly managed game in the 24 seasons I have religiously followed this program. Everything you've heard from every corner of OU fandom this week has been right on. The coaching staff, most notably the offensive coaching staff, failed this team in Lawrence with bizarre play calling and equally bizarre personnel decisions. Now, while Jeff Lebby has caught most of the flack, I do think DeMarco Murray deserves equal scrutiny for the role he's had in the inconsistency that this offense has had this season. Hat tip to my co-host on this show who opened the postgame pod this past weekend with Murray right in the crosshairs. Here's the thing. Tawi Walker is by far the best running back on this team, and one of the best backs in the conference. That's been obvious to anyone with fully functioning eyes this season. Obvious to everyone, presumably, but DeMarco Murray. Isn't it crazy how when Marcus Major, Javante Barnes, or Gavin Sawchuck are carrying the rock, the run game is mired in mediocrity, leading most people to question the offensive line's pedigree? But as soon as Tawi Walker is in, all missed assignments and tackles for loss magically disappear. Weird! Walker has been so much better than his backfield mates this season that it's literally inconceivable that that could not have been the case in summer during fall camp. And yet, Tawi Walker has had to scratch and claw for every opportunity to get on the field when it's blatantly obvious that he is the best fit for actually what this offense needs to do to win games. Now, I don't know, call me crazy, but a bowling ball of a running back that has good vision, absorbs contact, and takes multiple guys to bring him down is actually a really good piece to have in an offense that's supposed to be predicated on spreading the defense out so you can run into light boxes and then throw play action over the top when the defense brings up their safeties to help with the run. The exact scenario that played out against KU in Lawrence that OU refused to take advantage of. Now, I'm concerned about this because it potentially speaks to whatever is ailing the consistency of this OU offense. After the Cheez-It Bowl last season, Lee and I came on this pod bewildered as how to someone who looked as sharp and talented as Gavin Sawchuck did not see the field that season until they were desperate for bodies. And yet, it's happening again this season. Have things been disjointed on offense the last two years because there's an inherent problem with this staff putting the right guys on the field? Don't even get me started on Gavin Freeman, Jaden Gibson, Austin Stogner, and Blake Smith being your quote-unquote pass catchers on the final drive of the game trying to put Kansas away. 
There better be a come-to-Jesus moment for this staff in Stillwater this week. If not, they all rightfully deserve to be placed squarely on the hot seat. I'm serious about that. The incompetence is glaring and disappointing. I'm Grant Benson. This is West of Everest. Gabriel pumps, looking deep, airing it out, into the end zone, Stoops is there, got it, touchdown Oklahoma! Drake Stoops welcomes us into another episode of West of Everest. His touchdown in Bedlam last year came late in the first quarter, giving the Sooners a 28-0 lead over Oklahoma State. The final score of the game, you may remember, was 28-13. to 13. Hey, everybody. What's up? We are back. Lee Benson here, and you heard Grant's opening take. As you all know by now, it is Bedlam week, and people are fired up. Oklahoma State's playing some really good football right now. It's a completely different football team from the first few weeks. While, of course, Oklahoma is playing its worst ball of the season and coming off a horrible, disappointing loss on the road at Kansas and as we all know, it's the last bedlam for, well, who knows how long. I don't know. It's for, for maybe a while. Who knows? We'll, we'll find out as the future moves on. And to be honest, I've got really no idea where this show is going. All I know is that personally, I have watched a lot of Oklahoma State football over the last 48 hours, and I still have a lot more to go uh, to get a full picture of how this Oklahoma State football team is, number one, scoring as much as it's scoring, and how it's winning so many games right now and playing its best football of the year. So I guess we're here, Grant, to talk about it. What's going on? Nothing much. Just, uh, I don't know, man. A lot, of weird, a lot of weird feelings, a lot of emotions about OU football this week. This definitely feels like a fulcrum point. This feels like a really, really big deal this week. I, um, kind of along with everyone else while I was watching the game, you know, I, I don't necessarily think about decision-making, like, as the game is going on. I'm usually just, like, into it, and I'm just kind of following the ebb and flow of the game. And, um, man, re-watching that game, and I'm... I, I don't know. I This is about... Like, I feel kind of the same way as I did last season, like, at the lowest point, basically, where it was just... I, I just watched so much incompetence that did not need to happen, and I am now concerned about it going forward. That's totally fair. I'm not anywhere near, I, th I think, the burn it all down spot as a lot of people seem to be. And I think a lot of it is because we've seen, granted, the UCF game wasn't great either. So, I mean, there's been back-to-back head-scratching offensive performances, fair. And the weather was beautiful against UCF, and the offense was still kind of what's going on. Uh, I, I tend to think that the weather had a, a huge thing to do with that game against Kansas. But the more I talk about it you know, with you off the air and the more I think about it and the more, I, you know, I rewatch the game as well. My biggest question going into this game, and, you know, we can all talk about Jeff Levy and Jeff Levy deserves a lot of criticism and DeMarco Murray deserves a lot of criticism and Brent Venables does because it's his team. Uh, what has not really been talked about, at least I, you mentioned in the opening take the OU podcast cinematic universe. I haven't heard anybody else talk about anything this week. I've been kind of blacked out. So I'm not sure where the, uh, the thoughts are, aside from I know everybody still hates Jeff Levy, I, I want to see what Dylan Gabriel looks like on Saturday. Because to me, uh, yes, 
we've seen games this year where the game plan has been weird and they haven't thrown the ball deep and we've kind of wondered why are they you know smu example that's one of them and some extent a little bit ucf yeah the weather was weird mostly in the first half but when the weather was not looking as bad in the second half jason bean was throwing it down the field a decent amount but dylan gabriel wasn't and how much of that was just on jeff levy but how much of that also was just on dylan gabriel I don't know. Is something going on with him? Because I brought it up to you in the last podcast and off the air. I come back to his his long throw, and I use air quotes to Brendan Thompson. That throw looked weird. Like he threw it. He it was like an arm punt. And he he said to me uh, off the air, he kind of crow hopped just to barely get it forty yards in the air. To me, I, was Dylan Gabriel his arm messed up or something in the game? And it was that why they didn't throw it as much. In addition I don't think to so. go watch plan. his go watch the the one pass that was completed before that Brennan Thompson one more than 10 yards downfield to Anderson in the fourth quarter. He's fine. He just looked like Dylan Gabriel. Plenty of zip. Yeah, that on looked that good. Ball. That looked fine. I mean, that was one throw. Which I mean, uh, his and, first and throw I, of the game, his first throw I, of the game was awful to Austin Stogner, like all goofy and stuff, and then he threw the pick six. Had no zip on the ball. I that's what I if he like again I don't know. That's what I'm very confused about. Because if he's fine and normal, like there's no reason not to believe he's not fine. He should be able to come out on Saturday where the weather's going to be beautiful and throw it all the way around on this Oklahoma State defense. And if that's the case, then offensively, and especially after the way last game played out, and I think we've seen in the past when Lebby kind of gets some criticism, he comes back and he dials up much better game plans. Granted, the UCF game, was not great, and then he followed up with the Kansas game. But I think I, I'm I'm kind of thinking like there's a there's there's le- there's less of a chance Oklahoma's going to mess around after what we saw uh, offensively against Kansas, and especially with great weather and a defense that's not very good in Oklahoma State. After I've watched a lot of it uh, offensively, I'm feeling pretty confident, maybe more confident than I should be. But just what we've seen for the most part this year, compared to the last two games, we've seen good offense. I, offensively, Oklahoma should come out and they should be able to move the ball pretty easily against Oklahoma State. If Tawi Walker does not play in this game because of injury, what does that do to your confidence? It definitely diminishes it a bit. Uh, and then I guess we don't know about Marcus Major either. Because they will uh, not. But um, This is game nine. If Tawi Walker is not playing in this game, and he won't be 100% if he does play, they're not going to be able to run the ball in this game with any sort of consistency. They can run the ball in this game just as good as they ran it, which, again, was not, not again, uh, which was not particularly great. But afterwards in this game, you said, actually, I think it was one of the better times they ran the ball, and that was Iowa State. They can run it just as good against Oklahoma State as they did against Iowa State, where it was essentially Marcus Major most of the game. We don't know what his status is going to be. We don't know if he's going to play. And they just kind of kept things on schedule. And I wish they would have gotten more Gavin Sawchuk involved. And that was one of those games where they didn't get Tawi Walker that much involved, and they should have. And I say Iowa State because Oklahoma State runs Iowa State's scheme. That's what Brian Nardo does. He runs the, the Iowa State defense. And that's something that also makes me kind of confident because how much did we praise Jeff Lebby and the Oklahoma offense after that Iowa State game earlier this year? Scored 50 points. Granted, one was a pick six. Offense was pretty good in that game. That's, that's what Oklahoma State does. That's how they, that's how they play defense. Very aggressive. I think almost a, a much more aggressive style of the Iowa State because uh, their front is, is pretty, pretty fast. But there's going to be running lanes. You spread it out, you get hat on a hat, 
And there should be some holes, even with Oklahoma's uh, big sigh, average to below average running back room, even without Tommy Walker, if he doesn't play. I hope so. I hope so. So I and hey, you know, in, in the past, if this was this is a situation in the past, I'd feel pretty confident about OU. But this is still this is still a new coaching staff who has not passed this test yet. And they're and coming like I just I can't square with how they looked the first six games of the season with how they've looked the last two weeks. It's it's to the point where uh, that's where I say, I mean, if, if the wheels come off of this thing after the first six weeks of the season where they looked good, where they they looked like a legit top five, top 10 team in the country. I mean, that is unforgivable. And it could have it just and the Kansas game is going to be a glaring example of you just had to do a lot of obvious things that you, for whatever reason, decided not to do. So I, I mean, this is I agree. This is big, and and it, 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 I mean, you got Oklahoma State coming in, who is hot. I mean, they're hot. They're the hottest team in the conference in terms of, uh, in in terms of like a winning streak and whatnot, scoring a lot of points. They've completely turned it around after losing by twenty six to South Alabama. They're thinking. I mean, and they have a very light schedule after this game. So if Oklahoma State wins this game, they will absolutely be favored to get to Arlington to play in the Big Twelve Championship game. This is a huge game for Oklahoma State. Massive game for them. Does OU's coaching staff understand what they did wrong? Do they understand the moment? Do they understand that this is their season right now? This is it. I don't know. That's a, that's a great point. And, you know, I, I think uh, maybe we should take this time in this particular time of the season as OU 7-1 and one and playing, you know, I mean, overall it played really good football this year. But uh, maybe you and I should take a bit of a bow, considering that we were pretty skeptical coming in. One of the few people, few podcasts that were like, I don't know. I'm going to kind of wait and see here. Uh, because maybe, maybe Team 128 is still here. Maybe somehow they were able to cover up a lot of glaring weaknesses. And granted, they brought in some different players, and they got some more talent, and there was a year under their belt, and better defense, and sure. Uh, but they're a, they're a loss to Oklahoma State away from all of a sudden looking at that schedule and thinking that that nine and a half win total that, that under might be might be the favorite. I mean, it, toward toward nine and three actually might be looking pretty good if they come out and they lose on Saturday, which obviously was something that is, that'd be unthinkable after that Texas game. So uh, it, it's I tend to to think. They're, they're better, though, and they'll figure it out. But I am just – I am shocked by how well Oklahoma State has kind of just figured it out. And Alan Bowman is playing, not surprisingly, the best football of his life right now. He's just in control, not doing anything special. He'll make a, he'll make a three, to, three to five, like pretty darn good throws a game. But he'll also throw some up. And I told you off the air before we started, oh, you should have, they should pick him off three times in this game because he wants to throw it. He wants to throw it to the other team. He's had so many near picks this year uh, and he kind of telegraphs some throws. They do a lot of RPOs, a lot of quick stuff. And I just hope, man, if I'm an Oklahoma defensive back and I mean, hopefully Gentry Williams can go. I know it sounds like he should be good to go, I believe. Uh, but man, if I'm an OUDB, I'm just, granted, they got to stop. 
the running back. That's kind of the big one with Gordon. But, man, if they can bottle him up, gosh, I would be so excited to play against Alan Bowman. Oh, I'd be so excited to play against that guy. guy. And like I said, I mean, and of course, I'm sure I'm going to rue this. And I'm sure I'm, I'm going to come on this podcast on Sunday and be so upset that I jinxed it and said this. Alan Bowman's one of the least talented quarterbacks I've seen at this level. I, I mean, like in, and I mean, I, I was saying that when he was at Texas Tech and everyone was salivating all over him. Guy is a, like I, it, Colin Cowherd used to call Andy Dalton the, the red water pistol or whatever, the beige water pistol. And I mean, that's, that's what Alan Bowman essentially is at, like, relative to college. His he's a water pistol. I and like I'm man, I'm, I'm just I I am not I am not um, impressed with him whatsoever. His numbers suck. Like I said, there he's throwing it 39 times a game, barely like under seven yards per attempt. He's throwing a lot of picks this year. Like it's got he's he's got he he doesn't have a lot of ability. He just doesn't. But I'm sure you know what I, I'm sure they're going to probably generate some stuff. Just because that's how it is. So my, uh, my, I guess, back on the last 48 hours, I started with Iowa State. So I went back and I watched Oklahoma State, Iowa State, because I was kind of the, that was the game after they got run by South Alabama. And effectively, that was the game where they just decided to finally actually play, by they, Oklahoma State, actually play one quarterback for the entire game. And that was Alan Bowman. They were doing, they were playing all their different quarterbacks. It's almost, like they used the non-conference as preseason and <laughs> then finally they go to Bowman and he's been the guy ever since and I think I mean he looked he looked pretty darn good for the most part against a pretty good Iowa State defense looked good threw a really bad pick in the game threw a couple of bad picks in that game looked pretty good against Kansas State I watched the KU game looked pretty darn good against Kansas as well I've watched the first half of West Virginia he's been pretty good against West Virginia that's it I haven't seen Cincinnati I didn't watch that game closely I know they won going away and his numbers from that game aren't looking very good. So, you know, perhaps he did not look as good against Cincinnati last week. But in the games, Iowa State, Kansas State, KU, West Virginia, a guy that's completely in control of the offense, he can actually move a little bit, which is annoying because I don't remember him being able to move that much. Like he's not, he's not like much of a runner, but he can move a little bit. And it's just he's putting the ball where it needs to be, but at the same time he's got five picks, only eight, you know, eight touchdowns to five picks. All that's come in five games, and then he gets the ball to Ollie Gordon, and he does everything else. And it's been basically the Ollie Gordon show, but also, I mean, they got some good receivers too. It's not just Ollie Gordon. He's been able to get the ball to a lot of different players. So it's, it's an offense, I think, that is pretty dynamic and not one-dimensional at all, and it's just it's frustrating because uh, they're scoring a lot of points. Uh, not necessarily the best defenses, but putting up 48 at West Virginia is nothing to sneeze at. That's that's I mean, West Virginia has been an okay team this year. They're better at home. And so, yeah, we're getting Oklahoma State. They're getting Oklahoma State, the Oklahoma State offense at a really bad time because they're playing their best football of the year. And they're getting Oklahoma's defense at a great time because Oklahoma's defense is kind of reeling right now uh, with some confidence issues and also some injury issues. And I think I I think that's the biggest deal is just that they're banged up. And you and I kind of talked before this. There's I you and I. I, I, correct me if I'm wrong. You and I both expect Danny Stutzman not to play this week. I don't expect him to play. If he does play, I don't anticipate him being healthy. I mean, maybe he'll try to gut it out, but I guess we'll see. I mean, he gets out there and maybe he'll get some adrenaline going. But man, if he looks like less than 100 percent and maybe he's dragging or missing a you know an assignment, 
you got to get you got to get him out of there. I mean, he's going to be hurting the team. So you know, maybe they'll give him a shot. I know it's some gamesmanship from Venable saying you know game time decision probably, but I mean the guy couldn't even come back in at all against Kansas. You know, he was limping around, weird injury. Didn't I didn't really. He kind of got was it like where he kind of bent it backwards when he went down on the ground? I think it wasn't where he made contact. I think I it thought was it was kinda... one. I don't. I don't know what is hurt. I don't know. So like every time I watch the replay, it looks to me like it was knee to knee. That's what happened. Well, if the he he makes contact, I think you're talking about that in the air with uh, his teammate. But I think, but that's the, that's his left leg though, and he was favoring his right. And if you look at his right leg. When he goes to the ground, it like kind of twists back, kind of like one of the like where it'd be like a knee injury. That's kind of what I thought it was, but I think it's been reported that it might be ankle. So maybe it's high ankle, and if so, that's not good because then he's not gonna be able to be very, <laughs> excuse me, be very effective. And uh, and like Kip Lewis obviously has been good this year, and I I just I don't know if this is the best spot for him going against a running back who's who's bigger than he is. Potentially, in, in, a, in an offense that, that leans on that running back. So I, and then I know, I mean, you know, Jaron Kanick got straight up benched last week for Kobe McKenzie. And who knows if they go back to that. I mean, but I, for I'm, a very, very small portions of the game. I mean, it was, he, he played a lot. I mean, there was yeah, like, no, I that know, one I know, time but, they, yeah, yeah. It, it but wasn't it's just, like McKenzie I, was out there for half the game. Like, and I know, I know like fan brain here is saying like, yeah, everyone loves Kip Lewis and get Kanick out of there and everything. Not a good game to be starting your two backup linebackers. Not, not a good spot for that to happen. No. Like, I, I feel no. like, I feel like I'm taking crazy pills and I have to say the obvious there. Yeah. I, I really haven't lost much confidence in Kanick. I just, he's not good in coverage. Another, another linebacker in the long line of Oklahoma linebackers who look lost when they have to play pass coverage. Uh, granted, he did look okay. Um, that first drive, opening he had good coverage on that, that first one. drive. Uh, yeah, yeah, he had tight coverage on that play that Trace Ford knocked down. Canick was all over that, but it's just how many times we're we going to see, and it's not just Oklahoma. I mean, Oklahoma State's defensive, their linebackers and their D backs, they're not they're not good. I mean, I how many times like I'm, I'm going to watch a Kansas tight end or a Iowa State wide receiver slot guy just run right past guys and they just like kind of shrug shrug at their shoulders, let a guy go through their zone, and they're wide open. I mean, my God, this Oklahoma State defense is going to have so many spots to exploit, and I just hope Jeff Lebby and Dylan Gabriel can exploit them because there's, a, there's open guys everywhere, man. Uh, and there was, there was stuff opening against Iowa State through the air. And again, it's, it's the same, same style of defense, and Oklahoma State's secondary players have not impressed me at all. Uh, their safeties aren't very good. Their corners aren't very good. Letting A lot of guys get behind them. Uh, and so... And kind of kind of soft. Like I, I really hope Oklahoma can run the football on them. I mean, a thing that Oklahoma has been bad at all year. Because coming up and stopping the run, I know Kendall Daniels wants to do that. He's a big body guy. Man, I love his size. He looks like a great he looks like one of the best players out there, just like the way he looks in his uniform. But he ain't great in pass coverage. Uh, that freshman safety they have back there, number seven, he ain't great in coverage either. Uh, their corners are okay, but there's just Gosh, the, the offense, if it's not messing around, the offense should score a lot of points against Oklahoma State, man. In a beautiful day it's going to be, they should be able to score a lot of points. And I know it's going to be a tough environment. That's you caveat them, it with if geez. they're not messing around, and wow, it's weird. They've, they've messed around a lot this year. In fact, they've messed around in four full games. SMU, Cincinnati, UCF, and Kansas. Gosh. 
it's and it, it cost them. It, I mean, that's that's kind of that was kind of the theme of why I brought up last episode was the things we'd seen all season long, just kind of stuff that annoyed us. You can't do that all year. It's going to come up and bite you in the butt. And it's almost like they were against Cincinnati for sure. It's like they were just trying to kind of get by like, yeah, you know what? We're better in Cincinnati. We'll be able to make this work with Marcus Major getting 80% of the touches. We don't need to play Tommy Walker much. Or, you know, obviously against Tulsa, which Tulsa was fine. Like that was the game where they're like, you know what? We're going to try to get Javante Barnes and Gavin Sawchuck some touches here. And that's all who played. And both of them didn't look very good in that game. It's like even in a game where they beat the crap out of Tulsa, they still couldn't get those guys going. And I think, did you bring this up during the podcast or did you bring it up off the air? Or maybe it was Brady. I don't know. I'm kind of, everything's kind of coming in because we text a lot with our friend Brady Trantham from the Keyhole Pod. Like, how much of this should be Oklahoma trying to just get away from as, as many RPOs and then just, just, ru- just ran the, run the ball, call run plays? So that was and a huge just let the um, offensive lineman lean on him. Yeah, so Lee, in the fandom this week, kind of the big thing was that, you know, a lot of people are talking about Gabe and Teddy's podcast from their their post game of the Kansas. And and the reason why I think maybe there's a little bit more temperature, the temperature is rising here, is because they were very critical, like aggressively critical. Um, even more so, I, honestly, more harsh than than I have been on this podcast so far. And uh, they brought up a lot of good points. And it was um and so I think, right, everyone's kind of joking, man, like when state media does that, like when guys who are just sunshine, and they are, I mean, they have been, they, they, you know, if you listen to them too closely last season, they led you astray for sure. This time around, I mean, they were, yep. Yeah, I, it's, um, this time around, they, I, it was, they were right on and you could tell they were upset it, the way that they were talking, they could tell that they were embarrassed for their program. And, okay. um, and so it's just. I don't know what's going on. I don't know what's going on. It's incompetence. What what we saw against Kansas was incompetence. And so I, man, they're, they just, OU has a lot better players than Kansas. A lot, like a lot. I don't even know if there's, a, I, don't, I don't think there's a player on Kansas's defense that would start for OU's defense. And OU's defense isn't great, but like, God just said it all year. Even you in, the, in September, like, oh, I think Kansas's defense has improved. No, their defense is terrible. They're awful. Everything was there. Oh, you, oh, you could have scored. It's improved. They, they scored it's sixty good. if they wanted to. Could have scored sixty if they wanted to. Give the ball to freaking Tawi Walker, and then throw a one-on-one to Nick Anderson the entire game. It was there all game. All right. So, definitely one thing that stood out in the rewatch going back it was the offensive line. And is are we all in agreement here that the left side has got to be Sexton and Caden Green? Because those guys seem to be moving people. And Walter Rouse was out, kind of came back in for like a series. But for the most part, they stuck with those two guys on the left side. Of course, Savion Bird had that penalty. Uh, I, whenever I, I was actually paying close attention to the, the line, uh, I was watching them specifically. And it, it seemed like they had no issues, both of those guys. Like they, whether it's pass blocking, or, but it was a lot of, obviously a lot of run blocking against Kansas. They seem kind of like road graders out there, and I like to see those guys play more. <laughs> yeah, I am um, sorry. I, I brought up the Gabe and Teddy thing because I had a point to that that I had kind of forgotten as I was halfway through my spiel there. But one of the big things they brought up, and it was mostly Teddy talking about um, his how much he hates the RPO and just how it just um, like his theory is essentially that it makes you a bad offensive lineman. And um, 
like I don't know like it's it's weird yeah like when you're when you're running sort of a run play and you're not firing off the line and you're mostly just like catching guys and trying to like reroute them or yeah but then it kind of does seem like when OU has just done like gap scheme stuff where they're just like yeah this is a run play they've been really successful this year and I whatever I don't know I mean Jeff Levy like he does seem like a guy who is just really married to the RPO and he thinks it's great and everything. And, and I, I think I think if you run it well, like Mac Jones and that Alabama, the the 2020 COVID Alabama team, they were like exclusively RPO. Of course, they had like three all pro NFL wide receivers as well. And Mac Jones, but and Najee Harris. But still. Um anyway, like that that was just that that was one of the big things about theirs about it, saying just like get rid of the RPOs, go simple. Just run straight run plays and straight play action. See what happens. And it's like, it's it goes back to, maybe this is what Oklahoma State has done. Maybe Oklahoma State and Oklahoma are going in opposite directions here. Where Oklahoma State, it seems like they have just decided that, hey, our offense is clearly just giving the ball to Ollie Gordon and then maybe doing some other small stuff with Alan Bowman just to kind of manage the game and, and dink and dunk here or there. And otherwise, we're just not, not going to be complex. Just give the ball to our 215-pound tank. Who can, who can break away from guys and just don't even get weird with it. Where it kind of seems like all OU should really be doing is just going four wide, giving the ball to Tawi Walker against a six-man box. And then when they bring guys in, then you run your play action, you throw it to Nick Anderson and Jalil Farouk. Like, I, sometimes the game is that easy. It really is. Yeah, that's the thing is, is I watch Oklahoma State play and they, they, they do still run a lot of RPO stuff. I mean, the, Alan Bowman loves that. But obviously, they do run the ball just straight to Ollie Gordon a lot as well. They're mixing the match in very well. I mean, they're they're playing great football. You know, as, as much as we want to be like, okay, kind of pull back Jeff Levy on the RPO. Let's not do it as much. Let's just try to run downhill, which I'm all for. Turn around and you're playing this Oklahoma State defense that is just so susceptible to the RPO. <laughs> I mean, I would Beck from Iowa State was just killing them, wide open guys. Uh, by the way, Kansas State struggled against Oklahoma State. I was looking back. Kansas State, in the last handful of years, they've also struggled offensively against Iowa State. <laughs> like, like Apparently, they, that offense is not very good against that style of defense. So that was kind of a game that maybe played into Oklahoma State's hands. Kansas, offensively, did pretty much whatever it wanted against Oklahoma State. Jason Bean had a couple of really bad turnovers in that game. And just like against Oklahoma, Kansas could not convert two-point conversions and I think they had a field goal block, too. So they lost a lot of points on the board. Kansas could have beaten Oklahoma State in Stillwater. Uh, so it's, it's a defense that where it's like, yeah, they can be ran on. They can be passed on. It's, it's not a very good defense, statistically. So don't mess around. Go at it. But now you throw in the caveat, though, that Oklahoma's injured. We don't know who's going to play running back. At least Javante Barnes had a little bit of run. Maybe he's back. Maybe he's healthy. And for the love of God, I don't care. Maybe we're finally going to get a Gavin Sachuk game because they have to because there's nobody else. And I just, I've wanted to see the guy just get 15, 20 touches just because they have to to get to the flow of the game. Because Marcus Lee, Major had plenty of chances that this year to do that. Let Gavin you, get that, that kind Lee, of chance. Can you explain to me why in crunch time of after the after the Ethan Downs interception against and I'm I'm far from the last person to make this point if but but you said you haven't listened to all the other stuff in the in, um in the universe this week 
But can you explain to me why on that very last drive where OU had to... Yeah, I mean, it's kind of bothered me. People say, oh, you just needed one first down to win. If they would have gotten a first down on first down, they would have needed two first downs to actually run out the clock, but that's beside the point. Um, anyway, but why on earth was Javante Barnes the guy that they put out there? And this is looking past... Also, that they were in, for whatever reason, they were in 12 personnel there for the very first time in the entire freaking game. Maybe the entire, the first time, like, basically since non-conference play, they were in 12 personnel. Um, why was it Javante Barnes and not Gavin Sachuk? Am I, am I wrong, or did Gavin Sachuk start to get rhythm and get chunk yards in the fourth quarter two weeks ago against UCF when they absolutely had to have it? Why wasn't it, so, why wasn't it Gavin Sachuk? So I have an answer, and, and it, it's not going to be very satisfying, I don't think, to you. Uh, and I, I think a better question than that is actually it's not that series, but the question should be, why wasn't Gavin Sachuk in the series, a couple of series before going left to right, after the Billy Bowman interception? And that's the reason why I think Javante Barnes was in the game, because Javante Barnes was in on that series, and he had two carries on that series, one for like seven, the other for like five. And he looked, I thought he looked fine. And he got him near the goal line. And remember, that's when Dylan Gabriel ended up having to keep it and barely scoring. And so I think then they saw that from Javante Barnes. They're like, oh, not, not bad. Some like six, seven yards, five yards, like good. So I think that's then why he was back out there in crunch time late in the game after the Ethan Downs interception because the most recent thing we'd see from him was like, fine, good. But I go back to what I said a moment ago. Why was it Barnes in that situation and not Gavin Sachuk to begin with? Because Sachuk had earned more playing time. He had scored that touchdown. He thought the touchdown was good. Uh, he just He's being used so sparingly. And again, I just I want to see them. Maybe it has to get to the point where maybe this weekend where they might just have to do it because they don't have other bodies. Granted, they probably just mix in the freshmen. <laughs> See those freshman guys. It's like it's almost like they don't want to give Gavin Sawchuk bell cow status, even though they did for the eh, no. I guess they didn't because Eric. Well, no, Eric Gray didn't play in the bowl game. So I mean, Gavin Sawchuk, I think got most of the run in the Cheez It Bowl. No, it was they. They um. He only had fifteen carries in the Cheez. He would. He had fifteen carries for a hundred yards in the Cheez It Bowl. So who else was getting carries? Oh, I guess Barnes. Barnes would have been. It's so. Barnes and Barnes. Barnes looked yeah. pretty good in the Cheez It Bowl too. He was just doing his. He was doing his freshman year Javante Barnes thing, where he was just getting basically yeah. four yards on every carry. Yeah, so I think that's the reason. Again, to go back to your initial question. That's why, because the last time we had seen Barnes, he was in and he looked fine. So they were like, "All right, let's keep it going." I'm sure that's why. And he's a bigger body, and they probably trust him more than Gavin Sachuk for whatever reason. I don't know why. Even though well, he hasn't they didn't played as much as Sachuk. As I say, they didn't, they didn't trust him enough to put him on the field for the month and a half before that, so that's kind of odd, I guess. I don't know. Yeah, it's... And also, I mean, it goes into anything. Get, get the freaking tight ends off the field. I'm so sick of them forcing a stacked box. Stop doing that. You are, you are intentionally going against, like, your best interests in that situation. Like, I am just sick of that. Like, and it's... And, and Stogner has been better the last handful of games, but like also at the same time, it is indefensible that he is the guy who has the most snaps on the offense other than Dylan Gabriel. <laughs> yeah, that's ridiculous. And just, uh, just uh, we mentioned Stogner. I figure I'll, we'll bring him up. 
the last snap of the game, obviously odds of OU winning are very low. It makes sense to have Stogner in. He's a big dude. He's like 6'4", 6'5". I get that. Cool. Okay. It doesn't make sense, though, to put the other two guys in a bunch set next to Stogner, Drake Stoops and Jalil Farouk. A guy, one guy who's like 5'9", and Farouk who might, maybe is six foot, maybe. While on the other side of the field, out of the play was Jaden Gibson, I believe. Like, okay, how about you, you do the triple towers? How about you give me Stogner, Gibson, and Nick Anderson? Throw all three of those guys around there so there's big dudes who go up and get a jump ball. Like, it's just... I mean, they've already shown that they have some creativity when they bring out P.J. Adebori on field goal block. Super long dude. Maybe they can get a guy. It's like they've thought about that kind of stuff. But in that particular set, you go with big, tall Stogner. Cool. Drake Stoops and Jalil Farouk. Three, like, give me some tall dudes, man. I, it's just it's a small thing, but it's not. It's, it's also I mean, it's kind fine. of a big like, thing. I guess... Yeah, I mean, like, I mean, in that in that scenario, they should have been five wide anyway, and the guys on the field should have been Stogner, Anderson, Gibson, Farouk, and it's fine. It's it, those five guys on the field are fine, but I don't think Nick Anderson was even on the field. No, no, because I'm pretty sure it was Jaden Gibson on the other side who was out of the play anyway. So it was basically just three guys. And you know what? Just for fun, let's put Desan McCole out there because he's super tall and lean and probably has a huge wingspan. Let's <laughs> just let's just let's get crazy. Let's get let's get we you know. And also, Dylan Gabriel, it, it, wasn't, it wasn't a terrible throw, but, like, if there's three dudes out there, if they would have gone Stogner, Gibson, Anderson, and it's only, like, a 20, 25-yard throw, he could just loft it up, put a, little, put a little air underneath it, so let it just kind of slowly drop in there so those guys can go box out and go get it. I mean, I know I'm kind of just, like, splitting hairs because it was very unlikely that Oklahoma was going to win, but I just... In those situations, man, it would be nice if they just gave themselves every little chance they could get. And by the way, I think Oklahoma also burning a timeout early in the third quarter probably didn't end up actually hurting them because they probably could have used that timeout and worked the middle of the field more on that last drive to have all three timeouts said just two. They could have maybe called a play towards the middle of the field and not have to worry about, obviously, the clock running as much. So another random thing I thought of. Uh, but that entire drive was destroyed at the start whenever Dylan Gabriel decided to check down uh, on first down. And whoever the running back was caught it. <laughs> and like 15 seconds came off the clock with no gain. And it's like, okay, this is the exact opposite of the Texas drive. Okay, where do you want to go now? What should we talk about? I don't know. I'm, I'm frustrated. I just, they need to, they need to win on Saturday and... If they don't, it's you know it's going to be pretty pretty hairy around here for sure. I'll just give some some pub to Oklahoma State. I mentioned it's not just Ollie Gordon. The receivers, are, I mean, I think the receivers are good, and they all serve a purpose. Jaden Bray, Brennan Presley, of course, and then Rashad Owens. Rashad Owens is like their big body dude who's come on a lot in the last four or five games. And Alan Bowman peppers all of them with targets. And I know, I guess last week against. Um, who they play last week? Uh, Cincinnati, West Virginia. Some oh no, yeah, two weeks ago. Some other, some other dude, I guess, had a big game on the outside. Yeah, it was their D three transfer? I don't think he had like I don't think he had caught a pass this year yet. Yeah, a guy named Leon Johnson had five catches for one forty nine. So, I guess another dude they got to keep track of. Apparently, 
But, I mean, he hadn't done anything until that game. So just bring that up. And then, obviously, you got Ollie Gordon, who has been just having buku crazy numbers over the last four or five games. He's averaging almost eight yards a carry. And it's not just running the ball. They throw the ball to him as well. He's a threat out of the backfield. So is this another another year, Grant, seems like, where you look over at Oklahoma State, and Oklahoma State has a better back than Oklahoma. And it's like, okay. I, this happens way what more do you than mean another? Should. What do you mean another year? Chuba Hubbard. I'm sorry. Chuba Hubbard was, is, is one of the most overrated players in the last 10 years in the Big 12. Chuba Hubbard was pretty good. They, let's see. Back whenever... Uh, I mean, I suppose they had Kennedy Brooks and Trey Sermon. They're, they're pretty good. So they, yeah, I'd take them over uh, Justice Hill. Um, but yeah, I mean, basically whenever you had Ramondre, it was fine, but they didn't always have Ramondre and it was like, oh, the guy's good. I mean, last, let's see who they have last year at running back. They had Jalen Warren for a while and Jalen Warren is like, he's a guy who's, who's carved out a role in the NFL, but, but he was never, he was never a scary player. No, that's true. (coughs) So yeah, Ollie Gordon's kind of, kind of the guy, but, and they do what, you want Oklahoma to always do. Oklahoma State spreads it out a lot, tries to create light boxes for Ollie Gordon to run through, and it's working. And obviously, that's the one block with their cowboy back, and that's that's the thing from like that was that was the Bryles Baylor thing, and that's what you know we were basically told we were getting from Jeff Lebby. They're not doing that this year. They didn't really do it last year either, and it worked because Braden Willis was a good player for them last year and was actually a threat catching passes. And was was ten times the athlete that Austin Stogner is. I just I, I don't I, I really don't understand them not even trying to do that. Just go four wide against the light box. Let your really big offensive lineman maul. God, you got Tawi Walker. You got a guy who needs two or three guys to bring him down. It's just it's so it's such an obvious direction to go in. That I just that that is what is making me crazy this week and is making me question the entire offensive staff. Oh boy, it's boy a big question after last season. You kind of brought it up in your opening take. Was and again at this time, I was not armed with the information that allegedly Javante Barnes was playing. You know, was kind of playing all year, banged up, and that apparently Gavin Sawchuk was banged up all season too which honestly I'm not even sure if I believe that or not so like saying like after the bowl game again like how is this guy Gavin Sawchuk how is this guy just now getting carries when he's very obviously the most talented player even more even more talented than Eric Gray he looked better than Eric Gray looked and Eric Gray's a really good back good college back and so then it's like okay well maybe maybe we find out that Sawchuk was injured all year and that's why it's like okay that makes a little bit more sense Barnes is banged up, but Barnes did play a lot. Okay, but then a different version of it has been this year for through the first. I mean, we were complaining about it in game number two, game number three. Why is Tawi Walker not getting more carries? It was obvious from game number one against Arkansas State. He was the best running back of all the guys who played that day. And yet it, it wasn't very clear, apparently, to the, the coaching staff. And it makes you think back to the the bowl game and it's like is this is this talent evaluation or is this stubbornness or is this a little bit of everything because you're not helping the team <laughs> it's not 
And then Oklahoma loses a bad game to Kansas. And yeah, and I if I got a I'm starting to get aggravated too and hearing people talking about it and adding the qualifier of Tawi Walker being a walk on. Oh my god, who cares? Who cares? He's good. He's good. It does not matter that he's a walk on. It's like everyone always wants to say that because oh, that's just obvious that he's not as talented. Nah, he's good. He's one of the best backs in the Big Twelve. Stop I, I don't right, well, care so that, that he's case, a walk on. Well, in that case then Drake Stoops and Gavin Freeman should not get any snaps either then. Yeah, Baker Mayfield, whatever. That Heisman Trophy, that was that was fraudulent. Yeah. <laughs> Get out of here, like guys. It's just whatever. Like I don't want to. I you know. I there's there's people I like who are saying it, but just like stop. You you you. It doesn't make you sound very smart. Just stop. All right. Last thing I have on bedlam, I guess, unless something else comes up, which something inevitably will. Man, I really like Colin Oliver. He's still really good. He can do a lot for Oklahoma State. They have him rush the passer. They have him play in coverage. He can move. He's not very big, but he plays big. He's a good player, man. He flashes all the time. Their linebackers are okay. Uh, Nick Martin's okay. Uh, they got a Benson out there. He looks, he looks okay. Uh, but other than that, again, I, I'm going to probably eat my words. Dylan Gabriel will end up getting benched for Jackson Arnold because they'll throw three picks, but I'm just I'm not impressed at all with their secondary. A one bit. And I just the Oklahoma that we saw for the first part of the season should be able to rack up a lot of passing yards. Granted, again, that's there's no Andrew Anthony, and apparently that matters a lot. Well, hey, remember, he's a good player, but I I wish they would just play their best receivers and get them targets. Remember forward, when we please. remember going into the Cincinnati game? And we were just like, ah, you know, this Cincinnati, I think their front seven's pretty good. I think they might be pretty stingy against the run. Two NFL defensive tackles. But, man, their secondary sucks, and they can throw it all over the yard on them if they want. Yeah. And we were there in person, and we saw it. And if they wanted to, they could have thrown it all over the yard on them, and they chose not they to. They chose not to. Weird. It's, 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 it's funny how that's been kind of a trend this year. It's annoying. I mean, this defense gives up six yards of play. Six yards of play. It's, a, it's not a good defense. Uh, it's just It's not. Um, it's opportune. Again, I think it's an aggressive defense. But you can get them on their heels. And this is not the same defense that looked like garbage for a quarter in Bedlam last year and then gave up nothing to OU for three quarters. And it was the most one of the most frustrating football games I've ever seen in person in, in a win, in an Oklahoma win. Granted, I guess probably the, the number one goes to OU Kansas from two years ago where Caleb Williams single-handedly won OU the game. But, I yeah, I just... The way the game played out last week, I'd like to think that Levy and Gabriel and they'll be more on the same page and they won't mess around and they'll just do meat and potato stuff here and hopefully do you know a lot of the same things they did against Iowa State's defense, put up 40-plus 40, 40 points on offense, Maybe they'll get another pick six. Maybe that maybe Bowman will throw him one and then get to fifty again. But sure, it. I mean, that's it's kind of like best case scenario. Uh, I'd say, and I've kind of hinted at this, even after what happened last week. I'd say I'm a little bit more confident that the offense can figure it out. I'm not so sure what to think about Oklahoma's defense going to this game because Oklahoma State's offense has been so on fire, and Oklahoma's defense has looked kind of lost especially in the back end it's not a good they're not very good against the pass right now and, and Bowman can exploit it see I'm not as I 
and obviously I, I wish the defense would have played a little bit better against Kansas. I'm just not as critical of, of the defense after Kansas. Kansas has a legit top 15 offense in college football. When you're, when you're that good on offense, you're typically hard to stop. And OU only did give up 31 points in that game. Um, and they did go long stretches where they just kind of shut Kansas out too. Where, when, and the offense didn't necessarily take advantage of that. Um, and then, I mean, Kansas had a 30% success rate in that game. Uh, you don't you just you don't lose a whole lot of games when you're only when when you're winning seventy percent of the plays on defense. There's a reason that there was a like per SP plus Kansas's win expectancy in that game was was seventeen percent, one of the lowest win expectancies for a winner this season in all of college football. So it was and it was because it's because OU absolutely punished KU on the ground, and then when they absolutely had to have it, they ran jet sweeps and weird crap, and they got too cute. <laughs> You know, if, if I was a coach, if you were a coach, wouldn't, among a lot of things, wouldn't one of your main goals in life to not be on the negative end of one of these analytical reports that come out that say that, you know, your win expectancy was super high and yet you still lost? <laughs> like that, yes. I feel like because, that was, yeah. Be, because <laughs> yeah. when that happens, when that happens, that is, that is an example of the coaching staff losing the game for the players. Pretty much every single time, that's the case. If you watch any of those games closely, it's always because the coaching staff make terrible decisions in winning time. Look at it right now. OU, five and a half point favorites. I, uh, man, I want to say last year when OU was at home, the number was kind of around there as well. Maybe it was at six or seven. I can't remember. Who who cares? Um, yeah, I, I again, I, I I'm kind of I kind of think Oklahoma's going to figure it out, but you know I can understand it's probably some wishful thinking, but it, it's more me basing it off of you know a larger sample size. They've they played better than what we've seen the last couple of weeks, and um, they had a wake up call last week. I mean they had back to back wake up calls. It's just, gosh, this Oklahoma State team, it's, they were so awful for the first two, three games. They were a bad football team. I don't, I don't get it. And That's I think it makes me so annoyed. And I don't want to take too much away from Oklahoma State. I know I've mostly just been talking about Oklahoma on this one. Um, I haven't, you know, since they played Iowa State, I just really haven't watched a whole lot of Oklahoma State. Um, when I watched Oklahoma State, you know, pre-Iowa State when we were preparing for that game, I was not impressed by Oklahoma State. Um, and even then, that's kind of, even then at Iowa State game, that's when they kind of started to figure some stuff out. That's that's also when I, th- I, th- I was kind of laughing when you were talking about how bad Oklahoma State's secondary is. And it's just like, I don't know if it's a coincidence that that's, that's when Iowa State's passing game started to figure everything out against Oklahoma State. And um, so I don't want to take anything away from them. And, and I, think, I think Ollie Gordon is a stud. You do not put up numbers like that over the last five games like he has without being extremely good. Ollie Gordon, that's Chuba Hubbard, whatever, none of, uh, what's the other guy's name? Uh, Justice Hill, other guys that they've had. None of those guys have put up numbers like that Barry Sanders, consistently Thurman over Thomas. five games. I was just, yeah, no, he's, he's more, the numbers over the last five games is in Barry Sanders territory. And so you do not do that without being a stud. Ollie Gordon's a tank. He's good. He's really good. Um, all due respect to him this week, it is Oklahoma versus Oklahoma and fate. That is what this is. 
if Oklahoma loses this game, it's going to be because they beat themselves. Period. And not to take anything away from Oklahoma State, OU just has better personnel than they do across the board. I still believe that. And one of the reasons why I'm so disappointed about last week is when I rewatch it, I you can see it. You can see how much better OU is than Kansas. And it's just and they just they just piss down their leg. And it's it's really, really frustrating to see. So it's just this game, yeah. It's this is the Oklahoma Sooners versus the Oklahoma Sooners. And um I think this is gonna be a game that either Oklahoma State is going to win in heartbreaking fashion, a la uh like twenty twenty one, the where it's just where OU kind of controls most of the game and then Oklahoma State sort of just like seizes momentum and and then OU just, you know, in heartbreaking fashion doesn't pull it out in the end. Um, or Oklahoma is going to win by a lot of points. Those are the two things that can happen in this game. I genuinely believe that. Uh, I, I mean, I get that a lot. You hear that a lot. Oklahoma State could also win comfortably too. And it could be like, oh my God, it's, uh, it's falling apart. <laughs> If Oklahoma State wins comfortably, is, yeah. If Oklahoma State wins comfortably, it is falling apart. Oh boy, Vinny! Oh Vinny! He's uh, a lot of a lot of goodwill, but he better be careful. Team one twenty eight might be uh, rearing its ugly head here as Oklahoma plays the final third of its season. Let's go to the Big Twelve. TCU at Texas Tech. It's been a while since we've had like our, our Big 12 kind of overall discussion. Uh, these, are two, these are two kind of bad football teams now, Grant. <laughs> like, yeah, two, two teams uh, having you know, very disappointing seasons for their, uh, for their expectations coming in. So, I mean, it's, it's, it's pretty it's kind, of, it's, kind of hard to, it's kind of hard to remember that TCU was literally playing in the national title game last year. But also, I'm kind of because I'm petty and like I have an ego, I, like obviously, and I'm just. Sonny Dykes is not a good coach, has never been a good coach, and last year, you know, him taking TCU to the national title game, I it hits my ego a little bit. I had to I had to question whether or not I was just totally wrong and whether or not I should kind of surwang it and come on here and say I was wrong. I did not do that, and I'm glad I did. <laughs> I'm glad I didn't because I, I do not think Sonny Dykes is a good college football coach. Well, TCU is four and four, super underwhelming. I mean, the loss to Colorado obviously makes a lot more sense. I mean, it made sense at the time, just a lot more sense now. Uh, they're just not a very good football team. Texas Tech also not good. Uh, Joey McGuire, I mean, it makes me wonder where the fans are with him. They're under 500. I mean, it's a, it's a coin flip game, Texas Tech by three. I was trying to figure out there's any sort of advantage and Vegas isn't giving you any advantage. I mean, they're like, you know what? We don't know. Just decide. These two, two teams are even basically. So who knows? I think I probably lean Texas tech on this one just because I'm pretty sure TCU's quarterback is, or Chandler Morris is still out. And there I, in the little bit I've watched when they're backups, but that guy sucks. So if it's yeah, him on the road, both coming off a bye too. Which I was kind of like, I kind of like TCU coming off a bye. They, the last time they were out, they were embarrassed by K State. But uh, last time Texas Tech played, they got run by BYU. So <laughs> both, both yeah, who teams wants to have, have not it? played good football. 
I guess what Texas Tech is is Texas Tech four and four or are they three and five? They're three and five. So this is I mean this is yeah this is kind of a gotta have it for both teams because TCU's schedule in November is pretty tough. They have to play Texas and OU in November. And Tech's schedule Texas still got to play or uh, Tech's got to play KU still and Texas. So yeah both both teams yeah I gotta have it. K State's at Texas. It's kind of the Big Twelve game of the week right? Well other than Bedlam. That's uh, we got obviously Quinn Ewers is still out. Uh, Texas kind of ho hum victory last week eh, with Adam. You want to save that for our pick segment? That's the uh, it's at the top oh. of our pick segment. We got actually it's, got two uh, Big Twelve games in our pick segment this week. Yep, I see that here now. All right, my mistake. Houston's at Baylor. Another you know obviously Baylor, another team that's not been great. I have no thoughts on Baylor. Or Houston, to be honest with you. Yeah, I think uh, it's probably... Actually, I mean, I feel like every time we say this now, something else happens during the week that makes us change our thoughts. But I think those two teams in Cincinnati, pretty clearly the worst teams in the Big 12, but I guess UCF is winless too. So it's got to be between those four teams, Houston, Baylor, UCF, and Cincinnati. Yeah, the new Big 12 teams have not fared very well at all. I mean, who... Actually, BYU's been the best of the bunch, and they don't have an offense. I feel like that four we just mentioned, I feel like UCF is definitely the best of those four. But I think, but they also lost to Baylor, so who knows? See, UCF, if, if, if Plumlee wouldn't have been out, like if, if Plumlee was healthy all year, I think, I think they'd have a better record. I mean, he clearly makes them a lot better. And also if he could run, too. Yeah, like that's a... Yeah. That was, I mean, he looked really good, I thought, against Boise State early in the year when they won that game. Speaking of UCF, yeah, they're at Cincinnati. UCF's laying three and a half. It, boy. Uh, UCF just got, I mean, they almost beat OU, and then they looked like garbage last week. <laughs> so, I don't know, man. I don't know what I would take in that one. I just, I've kind of I've kind of lost thoughts on these teams. These, these they almost beat pretty, OU, and then... Almost beat OU. UCF's defense plays pretty well for majority of that game, and then they just get their defense just gets ragdolled by West Virginia. Who I was telling you, I I watched the first. I've seen the first half of their game against Oklahoma State, and West Virginia's offense is so bad. Uh, is just Garrett Green can't throw. It's just basically we, zone reads. Yeah. Can we can we take the next two minutes just for some? For some irresponsible speculation, um, I'm—I I don't know—we we we haven't talked about this in a couple weeks since it happened, but you know, of course, Tawi Walker was suspended for that UCF game, and it's just been—it's been kind of there's been like some vagaries out there for it. Essentially, it was like some sort of disagreement with the coaching staff. And I think if you—it's—it's—I think it's pretty reasonable to jump to conclusions there that he probably got into some sort of shouting match with Demarco Murray. Now, what I what. What I'm interested in is, was the shouting match because Tawi was just like, dude, I'm so clearly the best running back. Why am I not getting the carries? And it was like something like that. And, but I don't know. Anyway, Tawi Walker not playing against UCF almost cost them that game. Because we, we, there is enough evidence now to know that if Tawi Walker was getting a majority of the carries in that game, OU would have run the ball just fine the entire game. Yeah, let's do it. I mean, that's kind of the what the rumors I well, I haven't heard anything specific, but that's kind of just what I thought it probably would be if there was a disagreement or a shouting match between 
Tawi Walker in his position coach. I just assumed it was over playing time because, <laughs> I mean, if it's not, it's totally something separate, then all right, great. Uh, but if it if that's what it is, like, okay, like, <laughs> like it's just some some nameless speculation. If that's what this, the situation was, well, I'm going to have a difficult time defending DeMarco Murray. Let's put it that way. <laughs> yep. that's. I mean, that's where I was going to go with it because, man, DeMarco Murray, if you're going to do that, you better be damn sure you are right about your perspective. Because I say, if, if that is what happened and that's why Tawi Walker is upset, he was right to be upset. Well, that's, again, that's what I said in the last episode. And the way things went down against Kansas, the coaches know because they started to feed him because they knew they had to to be competitive in the game. And it just it tells me it's like they were trying to they're, they're, they're trying not to do that or something for a lot, of the, a lot of the season. Why? I don't know. To get other guys going? Well, you gave Marcus Major as many chances as possible. Maybe now he's banged up and he has his, his yearly injury. If he's not going to, I mean, shoulder or whatever, like that's Marcus Major for you. I mean, he gets hurt. That's what he does. So, I mean, who knows? I mean, he obviously didn't play last week. Maybe he'll be fine for Bedlam. Something tells me he probably will. He'll probably play if it's a shoulder. Shoulder. I mean, he took a week off. But DeMarco Murray know, is, is one of my favorite players in OU history. He was the best chess piece, offensive chess piece in the Big 12 all four years he was at OU. Um. He's done a bad job this year. He's done a really bad job this year. And he cost them the Baylor game last season. I'm never, le- I'm never letting that go. Oh, because is, is he the guy that's deciding who's in the game? Who's yeah, the, 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 Marcus, the Marcus Major Wildcat situation. Yeah. And lastly, BYU's at West Virginia. West Virginia is laying 10. That just shows you how bad BYU is on the road. It's like Jekyll and Hyde, man. I wouldn't touch this game with a 10-foot pole. BYU is one of the worst 5-3 and three teams in college football history. They're not good. Well, OU gets them at BYU, though, where they actually are a pretty decent team. So watch out. OU just like, when OU gets upset by teams that are way, better, that are way worse than them, it's always teams that have a good offense and a bad defense. It's never really the other way around. The only other... Like, the only inverse of that I can think of is 2017 Iowa State. Yeah, just BYU so much better at home. That's, I think that counts for something. Let's go to our pick segment. And, of course, you missed last week because I was sick. Apologies for that. Uh, so, I guess from a couple of weeks ago, I was 3-2 and two and you were 1-4. and four. Couldn't only remember what those games. I guess that would have been the OU-UCF day, so... The only game that uh, I got right was Ohio State over Penn State. That was one we both missed, Tennessee and Alabama, but oh I maintain that that was, right, we, that was the right pick in that game. Um, yeah, weird, weird yeah, week, I can't get, two weeks ago. I can't get mad about that because I got, that's right, because I got lucky with Florida State. Florida State ended up coming back and, and covering, so I suppose I could probably argue Florida State and um, Tennessee kind of even each other out on my picks there. Let's start the Big 12. So one of the games brought up earlier, K-State's at Texas. Texas is laying four at home. I just don't know what this Kansas State team is, man. They, I just obviously just recently watched the K-State-Oklahoma State game, and the Wildcats looked 
pretty meh. Uh, Chris Kleiman was weirdly is it is situational coaching in that game was kind of whatever. Uh, third quarter, I believe, down what was it? They were down, I think, twenty down by like six, thirteen or sixteen, like fourth and eight, like in the red zone. He goes for it. Just kick the field goal, man. They go for it. Of course, they don't get it. So they they leave three points on the board there. Uh, I just and man, uh, Skyler Skyler Howard threw a egregious pick six before halftime. That was essentially the difference in the game. Skyler Howard. What did I say? What's his name? Skyler Howard is the old West Virginia quarterback. Oh, Will Howard. No, I was half right. I knew it was Howard. Skyler. I almost said Skyler Thompson, another another former K State player. But uh yeah, I but Kansas State all of a sudden since that Oklahoma State game, I think they're just they're killing people the last few weeks. Just smoking so. people. They they went to the, the two QB system. They got Will Howard and Avery Johnson going now. And um this is one I I'm not sure. Obviously, like in my heart of hearts, I obviously I want Kansas State to win this game. Um this this feels kind of like a Texas romp to me, just feeling just the feeling. So I'm ta- I'm, I'm taking Texas to cover. <coughs> I kind of I need to go back. I feel like the history of this game probably matters. How they've done recently. I, I mean, like it was K-State. at the game was in Manhattan last year. A lot of people were picking Kansas State, and then Texas just kind of physically manhandled them. Okay. So yeah, that's right. I looked this over at the start of the week. They've the last couple of games they've they played pretty close games, but K State's lost. So and that's why the number is probably the way it is. Obviously, the the fact that Texas has a backup quarterback. Um, I'm going to grab the points. I'll take K State plus the four. I think Chris Kleiman is gonna figure it out this time. Missouri's at Georgia. Georgia's laying 15 and a half, and until further notice, I will just be laying it with Georgia because Georgia's turning back into Georgia, and it's very boring. It's the exact uh, handicap I have as well. Uh, I've Yeah, my, I've shifted. Georgia is, is easily the favorite to win the national championship. They just turn it on if they want to, and even though their quarterback play is not quite as good as it was with with your with your guy Stetson Bennett, but it's still been it's pretty not. good. Throwing the relatively fact that speaking, they play uh, not particularly great schedule, but okay schedule, I guess. I think their schedule and, ended uh, up is going to end up being a little bit more difficult than people realize. Because one, I mean, Missouri, like I saw Missouri's number twelve in the country. Like what? Based yeah, on Missouri, what? Yeah. Not, I mean, oh, because their only they, loss is that LSU game. They beat Kansas State. I totally forgot yeah. about that. I mean, that's their like that's their big win. I think beat Kentucky too. Um, but yeah, it's that's right. And that remember back. I mean, K State was kind of like, dude, what a terrible loss for K State. And now uh, the only loss that Missouri's had is that LSU game where they could have won. Yeah, dude, was it like a 65-yard field goal? It's like the longest field goal in college football history. It was 60-something, yeah. Yeah, you're right, though, Georgia. I mean, it's the next three games pretty interesting. Missouri, Ole Miss, then at Tennessee. Okay, I mean, 
Keep it. That's legit. Keep it interesting. I mean, that's that's a legit November schedule, I and mean, that's tough. So we're both on Georgia on to another Big Twelve game. I this is a boy squirrely squirrely line here. Iowa State at home laying two and a half against Kansas, coming off the upset of OU. Classic letdown spot for Kansas. That's that's got to be baked into the number. And I think Iowa State, they come off a bye. I don't think they played last week. They're off a bye. They factor in. So, uh, they have not lost since OU beat them. I think Kansas has played pretty decent against Iowa State lately. Um, and I just don't have any respect for Iowa State. I think they stink. So, I'll take Kansas plus the points. Wow, like my, I'm the exact opposite of that i i think i was i think this is a double digit iowa state win i think it's a game they probably win fairly easily um i think kansas stinks i i like that's and that's why i'm feeling so low i just kansas sucks that's not a very good team or like better yet it's it's not a talented team all right we'll see i mean the last time we crossfire like this uh i believe what was the game Kansas beat the crap out of somebody. UCF. Uh, let's see. Iowa State. Iowa State. They got so Kansas got Iowa State, Texas Tech, K State, and Cincinnati. Iowa State's beaten TCU, Cincinnati, and Baylor. T- I mean, Cincinnati's awful. Baylor's awful. Yeah. Oh, wait a second. They beat Oklahoma State. Iowa State. Too. Well, this is the last three games though. Uh, they're, they're not off a bye. They played. Uh, they beat Baylor last week. So this is uh, this is not uh, extra rest. Iowa State. So we got crossfire there. Washington, three point road favorite at USC. Very very short line. USC squeaks out a win over uh, Cal last week in a game that they easily could have lost. Cal did the right thing at the end. They went for two, and, of course, USC stopped it. Awful, awful play call on the two-point conversion attempt. Just awful. Like, there was no chance. Granted, USC was committing PI during it, but whatever. They rarely call it on those types of plays. Uh, you think I'm going to back USC? No. I'm, I've been fading USC since basically uh, – even well, since they lost to Notre Dame. We both kind of thought they'd figure it out against Notre Dame. So I've been fading them since then. So I guess, what, the last two games? And I've been right. So I'll keep fading him. I'll go with Washington, who's a much better football team, only laying a field goal on the road. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to do this. I'm going to do the same thing as you. Um, just been, I've, I've picked USC twice this year and have been burned. Um, I, I do have to point out there, though, that that's a squirrely line. That's a weird line uh, based off the perception of these two teams. And also... Washington Lee has played really poorly in back-to-back weeks. They have. They have. Um, I know they, they struggled, what, at home in that game against Arizona State. And uh, Stanford was pressing them last week on the road. The thing is now they're going up against, you know, their offense will be fine. But their offense is going to score points. So... I, I don't know. I just it just I guess yeah. I'm at the point now where I look at that. I, I wouldn't. It wouldn't. It wouldn't stun me if USC wins that game. It does seem like. And I, I mean USC is their defense is terrible. It will always be terrible. They w- they're going to give up a lot of yards and a lot of points in this game. 
Uh, but Washington's defense is also not particularly good. And it does seem like they they USC got right on offense last week at least. So um and they're like they're already back up to number one offensive efficiency in like every single model as well. So I mean this is um real it's probably gonna be a really entertaining game. And I'm gonna sit back and, and watch it and have fun and hopefully get to get to laugh at watching USC's defense give up probably it's like what i'm sure it'll be one of those funny things right where it's just like they'll do a relatively good job on Penix, but they'll give up 350 yards rushing <laughs> yeah it's it's total square play taking washington and you're right I, I do agree that the line is a bit squirrely but uh yeah i just i can't i can't grab usc it's i mean i'd want more i'd want more than three <laughs> you know i'd i'd i mean but honestly, if it was if this was Washington seven, I'd still probably grab Washington seven. It's basically you're te- it's telling you, yeah, Washington's much better. But yeah, that's 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 gonna that's a must watch game. That's that's the best. That's the most watchable game I think of uh, of Saturday slate. LSU at Bama, the last one. Pretty interesting though matchup. The way things are going because you got Alabama, who's not the same Alabama as we've seen, coming off a, a situation where LSU got them last year. And you got this LSU offense that's crazy, but the bad defense. Fun matchup. And it's Alabama minus three at home. And LSU obviously got them in Death Valley last year. Uh, as much as I don't, I just, I want LSU to win this game so badly. But uh, my, my brain is telling me to just lay the three with Bama. It's Bama at home, only laying a field goal. Doesn't happen a whole lot. So I'll take Alabama, even though I would love to be wrong about this one. I will also go with Bama just because I am, uh, I think I'm 0-2 when I pick against Bama this year. So we're just, uh, we're not going to make that same mistake a third time. All right, I'll recap the picks. We have a crossfire on K-State and Texas. I'm on K-State plus the four. Grant's laying the four with Texas at home. We're both on Georgia, laying 15.5 at home against Missouri. Crossfire between Kansas and Iowa State. I am on Kansas plus the 2.5. Grant is on Iowa State at home, laying the 2.5. We're both on Washington, laying 3 on the road at USC. And finally, we are both on Bama as a 3-point home favorite against LSU. Pretty good slate this week. Good stuff. Hopefully Oklahoma doesn't ruin everything by losing and then making it feel like the rest of the season doesn't matter because <laughs> man i get to man yeah if, o, if OU loses on saturday the, the post game pod on this one and and like i'm sure that's going to reflect a lot of people's moods but it's going to be very negative i'm going to be very sad it's like oklahoma gets uh you know above their win total from last year and then just stops <laughs> like well technically we were better and then they go like seven and five Hey, yeah, I'll, one more I'll question. Cash my to ask under nine you. and a half ticket. I got one more question to ask you before we sign off here. Has the avalanche of information and stuff that has come out of the Michigan sign stealing scandal does it move you at all? No, not at all. So did you? I mean, I, I did could, you? Did you see the stuff going on yesterday of like the Connor Stallions guy? was on the sideline of the Central Michigan and Michigan State game earlier this year, mm-hmm. and he was in disguise? Yeah. I. This is one of the most boring stories I've ever heard. I. 
I don't I fall asleep like, when I hear about the story. This is where it's just like I can't because like I'm at the point now where it's just like this is I just I love this story. I love college football. This can only happen in college football. And it is just so fun. And and I'm I'm just like I'm not even at the point now where it's just like I don't whatever. I mean, I I don't care if Michigan gets punished this year or anything, but just like it it does seem like there is some there's a lot of sour grapes, especially in Big Ten country. That's clearly who is who has kind of thrown Michigan under the bus here. And you're telling me it wouldn't entertain you or at least kind of move the needle in your heart a little bit. What if the Big Ten together as a group gets together this year and decides to punish Michigan? Sure. I mean, yeah, I guess I, the fact that there's rules, like, I guess if they're breaking rules, yeah, punish them. I, I think there's there should not like, the fact there's rules that, that people can't go to other games and like scout stuff, I think is stupid. Like, if you want to take the time to do that, go for it. <laughs> it doesn't, doesn't mean you're going to get the signals right. doesn't mean you're actually going to get things correct. Still have to freaking be able to decipher it and figure it out. That's, that take, takes a lot of work, and you're going to probably mess up a lot. So that's the thing is, like, the fact that there's, like, rules is kind of crazy to me. But, yeah, if you're breaking rules, you should get in trouble for that. Like, don't no, break no, rules. I mean, it's where you should follow it because it's interesting because it seems likely they – and so Michigan did have TCU signals, but TCU got tipped well, off. I saw that. I saw TCU, TCU got tipped off. It. They had him, and there you go. And I think that's. Yeah. I mean, you, you live by the steel of sign. You're gonna die by it too. That's, that's seen the other stuff. I mean, seen the other stuff like from 2015 through the 2020 season, the the years that Harbaugh was there, Michigan against the spread was like 40 percent. And since then, which is the the evidence goes back to 2021, Michigan is like over 70 percent against the spread. Yeah, that's that's uh, probably factors in. Uh, hasn't it, though? Isn't this year like different though? Like, like teams are using not even using signs anymore against Michigan. Like using wristbands and stuff it hasn't even mattered. They're still just yeah. I would I, I would assume something has changed. Like especially if it was someone in the Big Ten that ratted on them. Yeah, you would think it's an open secret in the Big Ten. But I mean, there's even some really interesting stuff. Have you seen the the stuff about how there's evidence that they gave this information to other schools as well. Like there is, there's some really intriguing um, circumstantial evidence that they gave that um, Michigan had Tennessee signals and gave them to South Carolina last year before that game. There is circumstantial evidence that they had Clemson signals and gave them to South Carolina before they beat Clemson. I'm just like, it's, like it could go deep. And, and part of this is maybe just like sort of the conspiratorial soul hoping that there's just some sort of like storyline in the universe. And, and, I, and I'm, I'm willing to acknowledge that. But that's also why I'm trying to go to the angle of this is just fun. This is fun college football stuff. Because at the end of the day, it's really not that serious in terms of like nobody's getting killed or anything. It is. I, I think it's it, I think it is slimy. I, I think I, I, you know. I want there to be integrity in the game and I want everybody to be following the same rules. But also, I mean, this is just delicious. It's so much fun. And it can only happen in college football, the best sport in the world. Uh, I will say the the story that we talked about a couple shows ago uh, that I was actually very interested in, I thought it was fun to learn more about it, was the Iowa-Minnesota game when the game ended the way it ended with the, the, the nom, whole nom, non nom, 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 Beautiful. It's so and great. So, so I, I enjoyed that because it's – I think – I learned that there was a rule in the rule book 
about an invalid fair catch signal, which they got it right. The officials got it right. Horrible rule. Horrible, horrible, stupid rule. Like, what? Why? Like, to me, that was that was very obviously not a fair catch. <laughs> he, he, was, he, he, he wasn't calling for a fair catch. But you can't move your arms, apparently. You can point, but you can't move your arms, I guess, which is in the rule book. And my, my re- only reasoning for that, I, it's got to be just to make it easy on the officials. <laughs> just like, so there's, there's no confusion. It's got to be it. It's like, yeah, like we can't have any sort of confusion where like, oh, did he, did, he, did, he had, did he call for a fair catch? Did he put it above his head? Did he not? Ah, we'll just do it to where you're not allowed to move your arms. Weird. <laughs> I would, so, um, if I was an Iowa fan, there's no doubt that I would be furious about that whole thing. I would feel dejected about that entire thing. Um, I, I mean, and obviously I'm biased. I, I don't like you saying that it was obviously whatever he was not. Uh, he was obviously not calling a fair catch. I still maintain it looks like he is calling a fair catch when you are watching it live. It absolutely does. And whether or not like you know why it doesn't because he's not looking at the ball whenever he's moving his arms. He's looking at an area. It doesn't matter. You don't have to. Another another fair catch signal is people waving it off, doing like the thing like that. That's a way that you can signal a fair, a catch. fair catch. No. Well, sure, it's, it's not a fair, fair catch. catch. You're right. It's an invalid fair catch. You can't do that. Well, yeah, I mean, you wave it off, but nobody ever touches it because you wave it off. But I didn't know that. But you got to know that you got to know the rule book. I, think I just it's a, I just uh, think it's I just think it's incredibly reasonable to just say, hey, like any sort of like weird motion with your arms can very reasonably be interpreted as a fair catch. So you should only do it when you are very obviously calling the fair catch. And any time that you do anything other than that, yeah, sorry, man, you're screwed. That's the rule. Like, and also, I, I get and what it, you're saying, and it does. I, it it just it cracks me up too that I had two yards of offense in the second half, and oh, yeah. it was just. And you know, it's like it's destiny stepped in. Iowa did not deserve to win that game. That was a ball don't lie situation, completely. Oh sure, no, it's uh, yes. I think it's fair for you to say it's reasonable to think that. My counter, though, is that not. No, it's not because nobody on the field thought it was a fair catch. They would have blown it dead. Like the, the Minnesota defenders didn't stop. They went to try to tackle him because they knew it wasn't a fair catch signal, and it obviously wasn't because he was trying to wave it away. But Iowa fans, it wasn't mad obvious about it, though. It wasn't obvious. Well, yes, it was because they played it out. If it was obvious, then they would have. They would have. Like, dead in the ball. I'm just like, I'm sorry. His the little motion that he did with his left, with his left, his fingers were above his helmet. And yes, I understand it was just a split no. They second, weren't. They were never above his helmet. He, yes, they were. He, he, they were. Go watch it again. He never once put his his arm above his waist, <laughs> ever. Okay, no, that's not right. That is not correct. Yes, it is. I watched it you are, multiple you're times being, over and over again. You're being hyperbolic there, Grant. I'm not. I. At There's worst, his hand. Time, at worst, his hand is even with his helmet. At worst, no. His his because if it was, it would be obviously a fair catch signal. His arm was never high like that. Go back and watch it again. Yes, it man. was like yes, it was. It's like if if you think you saw that, then yeah, I could see that you could think that's a reasonable fair catch. But if you watch it again, you'll see his arm is never even above his waist. It's always he's running, he's waving it around here, down here below it because he's obviously waving it off in a very awkward way and the reason like even the announcers 
they were like, what are we reviewing here? Oh, he's obviously still in bounds because everybody saw that he was not putting the, his hand above his head. But you can't do it anyways. It's against the rules. And so, like, apparently, which I guess you should know that if you're a punt returner. And Iowa fans getting mad about that whenever it was obviously called correct, like, that's weird, man. Like, sorry, that's it, it is reviewable, obviously. <laughs> so, sucks. Sucks that your guy didn't know the rules. That's that's a it's it's a ball don't lie. It's a big time ball don't lie. They just they that's a and you know what? Like you know the the breaking bad meme of Jesse Pinkman, he can't keep getting away with this that everybody always does like when oh, Iowa wins it. a game when when Iowa wins a game 12 to 6 or whatever. That was that meme coming to life. That's what it is. That is that's the comeuppance of that. And and Brian <laughs> Ferentz has has effectively been fired. He's not coming back next year. And if if that's what it took to get to that point, Iowa fans should be grateful that it happened because right now I, and and it's not going to work out like this. I'm sure they will hire a good offensive coordinator. I'm sure they'll make their offense way better. And then I'm sure they'll just be Iowa from there. They'll just go nine and three every year. But right now it is very, Iowa has had maybe the best defense in college football for four consecutive years, which means they just needed maybe a top 40 offense and they're a perennial national title contender. If I was an Iowa fan, I'd be furious about that. Yeah, that's the thing is, I know others will say like, oh, like, be careful what you wish for, Iowa. Be careful what you wish for. And you know what? Iowa fans don't care. They don't care. They, it's unacceptable that in 2023, an offense can be that, and Power 5 can be that egregiously awful. Like, Iowa fans don't care. They... They'll put up with maybe like a, a little bit worse defense or stuff. If they can average 20 points a game, <laughs> heck, 21 points a game, Iowa fans will probably be ecstatic. <laughs> I'm just like, it cracks me up. Isn't like, isn't Sam Laporta right now one of the best rookies in the NFL? He's a tight end. And yeah. if, I'm, if I'm not mistaken, he was on Iowa's roster last season. I, they just need to get a guy that'll go in, that, that'll get in there and be like, yeah, I'll just throw it to our to our obvious like pipeline of NFL elite NFL tight ends that we for some reason always have here. We got all they need to do. Who's there? It's like, and then Kittle. like I watched the Sam Laporta guy as like, I watch and I'm like, well, that guy's really good. He's athletic. He's big. He's, <laughs> he catches everything. And I'm just like, why? How wasn't there not one person in Iowa's offensive room last year who was just like, why don't we just throw this ball? Why don't we just throw the ball to this guy twenty five times a game and just see what happens? <laughs> I mean, that's what Iowa, or Iowa. That's what Ohio State's offense is with Marvin Harrison Jr. They just it's it's very much like Devontae Smith when he was at Alabama. They're just getting him the ball over and over and over again, and they should. He's a really good player. Let's see. Let's look back at Sam Laporta. Last year had uh, fifty eight grabs. For 657 and one whole touchdown, Grant. <laughs> okay, so by like, I mean, 58 catches for it. So he was their entire passing offense, it sounds like. Had to have been. But geez, man, I feel like I watched a lot of Iowa last year and like I'd never heard of Sam Laporta until I watched him in the NFL. All right. <laughs> Sam Laporta is number 11 all time in Iowa receiving <laughs> with 1,786 career rece uh, receiving yards. Think you can That's guess number one, number one receiver. 
Isn't that like Marvin McNutt? Yeah. Marvin McNutt. Good call. Tim Dwight went to Iowa. I didn't know that. How about that? Okay, well, we've reached the part of the podcast where we are rambling about Iowa football, so I think it's about time we probably should step aside. Uh, all right, well, not really sure yet what I'm going to be doing on Saturday, but uh, part of me kind of just wants I just kind of want to watch it at home <laughs> and not deal with all the, the, the hoblaw. I mean, you see the prices for the game to get in? Like I have. I was... Yes, and I, I, this was a game that I was absolutely planning on going to this year, but I'm not made of money, so I cannot go. Man, last I saw, the cheapest on like one of the apps was like, uh, like three hundred and thirty bucks, and then you add on all the fees to that, it would probably end up being like about around around four hundred. So uh, yeah, that's uh, that's expensive. <laughs> that is very expensive. To it, not sure if I want to pay that to potentially watch Oklahoma get beat against Oklahoma State in, uh, after, after I watched them get beat two years ago, uh, but for free, at least, because I was working for News 9. I still, you're not going to believe this, but the most I've ever paid for a football ticket is still the 2008 OU Texas game we went to. We paid like 250 what? for those tickets. It's still the most I've ever paid. Yeah, same. I mean, I've even the a Rose Bowl. obviously for free. So. Even, even the oh, Rose, really? yeah, the Rose, no. Bowl, Rose Bowl was only like 150 that's a great deal. It's a great deal. Good thing you didn't break the bank to watch that. Just nightmare ending. Yeah, that was actually that was a that was a surprisingly pretty cheap trip. Cause you know, I mean, it was it was like I I flew there on New Year's Eve. And it was a really cheap flight to L.A. Had an Airbnb. I don't even know what time. That was six years ago. Jeez. <laughs> All right, well, enjoy the game on Saturday. Hopefully, it's a good one for Oklahoma. We will be back afterwards to talk, hopefully positively, about OU and Oklahoma State. So until next time, for Grant, I am Lee. This is West of Everest. If you enjoyed this episode, make sure you subscribe to the show. And if you want to help us spread the word, please leave us a five-star review. And also, tell all of your friends who are OU fans about West of Everest. You can listen to this podcast on iTunes, Spotify, Stitcher, and SoundCloud.